We have Matthew chapter 11, verse, we'll be focusing on verses 25 through 30, so the end part of the chapter, we will kind of cover quickly the other, you know, the first 24 verses, just to kind of give everybody the good context of what is going on, so we're not just pulling out verses. Um, so we're in Advent, we're talking about the gifts that Jesus gives us, right, these, these gift exchange, right, so I have it titled, work, Exchanging Work for Peace, right, because kind of what I asked about when we, when we did the little intro, the welcoming part, right? So it's a busy time of the season, right? And so sometimes we won't get rest until after everything's done. We pick up all the paper and all the dishes are done or after if you're having dinner at your house, you know, so, so we kind of question like, what is peace though, right? Is that just a break? Like, oh, it's Sunday, I can take a rest or I can, you know, or it's Saturday, I want to do nothing but you know, hang around all day, right? So sometimes if you go on vacation, you need a vacation from the vacation or after the vacation, right? Because you're traveling, you're going, doing everything, right? But the question really is, uh, what really is peace, right? Is, is it the absence of a war, right? So sometimes we, we say we're praying for world peace. Uh, we, we hope that ends all the wars are ended, things like that. And we know that as Jesus told about the end times, there's going to be more wars and more rumors of wars, things like that, right? So we kind of see that hopefully at the end of it, there will be peace and there won't be any more war, right? Or is it just a, is it an end to busyness, right? Running around, doing a bunch of stuff, trying to get, stay busy, right? Or is it just getting through a family holiday dinner without arguing, right? As we kind of see in so many holiday movies, they put out a lot of times this time of year, there's always the, the crazy uncle or aunt or something like that that wants to pick a fight about politics or sports or whatever it is. You know, um, we see that kind of played out in the movies, and I'm sure it happens in real life as well. Um, you know, or is, it, is peace really something more? Is it something more substantial and more important than just having no war? And that's important, but and not being busy or, not just, or just having a nice peaceful dinner, you know, just getting through dinner. Right? And, and that's really what this is, is the Christmas, we like to think about the gifts and everything else and seeing family, but it, it, it's deeper than that, right? It's about Jesus being born and coming to earth and being given as the gift. Right? He is the Prince of Peace, and he's the one that delivers this, and his kingdom will be peaceful when he returns and sets everything up. But, and so, but, so it's important for us not to lose sight, especially at Christmas when everybody else is just kind of enthralled in the commercialism and the, and the things but Christmas has become culturally, but we can help point people to Jesus. And hopefully there will be a little more receptive, perhaps, of, of who Jesus is and what it means for this time of year. And so we'll read verses 25 through 30 in chapter in Matthew chapter 11, and we will go through, and we have the outline there, you can see it on the back of your bulletin. So this is what Matthew records in his gospel in verse, verse 25 in chapter 11. He says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants or children. Some, of, some verses say children or transcripts. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Come to me, all, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so these are the words that Jesus speaks. So the main point of this, though, is this is kind of the answer to the question, the three questions that, that make up the outline. But Jesus is the only person to give you true rest. Right, that is the main point of Christianity. Or he's the one we need to, we can rely on. Right, and that's going to be the outline. That's going to be the answer. Basically, who do you talk to to find rest? Where do you go and what do you do to find rest? Because we're always looking, we're always searching for this peace, this elusive peace, this world peace, this just stillness in our, in our lives. Right? And he's the only one that can really give it to us. So this first part, uh, who do you talk to to find rest? Right? So verses 25 through 27. So we'll go back a little bit, though. We'll talk about verses 1 through, through 24 in a second. So Matthew is recounting Jesus teaching his disciples. And then he turns to the crowds also to teach them, kind of after he's done talking to the disciples, he kind of focuses on the crowd. And he talks to them about who John the Baptist is, actually. And so John was in prison at this point, and he was beginning to doubt a little bit about who Jesus really was. If he gets chucked in prison, he's arrested. Jesus, the Messiah is supposed to free all the, all the captives, right? That's what the Old Testament says. Um, so he's like, hey, I'm a captive. I meet that criteria. Come free me, please. Right? So again, we kind of have these ideas of what Jesus does or doesn't do or what he should and shouldn't do. And so John... He's allowed visitation, so he sends his disciples and says, hey, go talk to Jesus. Ask him if he's really the Messiah. Is he the one that we're waiting on? And so they come and say, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Like, are you the Messiah? Or do we have more work to do? Are we going to keep looking? Maybe, maybe you weren't the right guy. Maybe John is the, is the prophet, but hey... Maybe he just got it wrong, right? Or do we need to keep looking for the real one? Do we need to keep looking for somebody else to give us peace and give us, deliver us? And so Jesus replies in verse 4. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So what's he saying? Yes, I am the Messiah. All the stuff in the scripture that's, that indicates who the Messiah is, I'm him. Right? Kind of like we just sang in the song, I am. He's saying, I am. And in John, we have those seven I am statements as well. It says, I am the one who is to come, using John the Baptist's own words when he was proclaiming Jesus' coming. Especially right before the baptism, right before Jesus' baptism. And then Jesus turns to the crowd, and so Jesus wants to remind John and then the rest of the crowd of the messianic significance of these miracles that he was doing in, heal, in healing people. And we kind of, that's why there's so much emphasis through the Gospels of Jesus performing healings and, and other miracles, because they are all signs and wonders and indications that the Messiah has come. He's the only one going around doing these things. He's the one that's going and healing these people that need to be healed. And most of it is physical healings, and he works out through to their spiritual healing later. But he's fulfilling these scriptures. He's fulfilling the word of God with his actions because he is God. Right? And so all these works that he was doing were, in fact, one commentator says, undermining the evil powers of the universe, even if in surprising ways. Right? Nobody else can heal. That's why when the man is lower down from through the roof, and one of the, in the gospel story is about to be healed, and the, the Pharisees are like, well, wh how can you do this? How can you heal? He's like, well, it's easier for me to heal him or forgive his sins. I can do both. 
Your sins are forgiven, and by the way, get up and walk. But he was able to do both of those things. And so he was undermining the evil powers, this power that sin has and death has over the world. He is overpowering them, and he is controlling them. And so then Jesus turns to the crowd and explains that John is indeed Elijah, because that was the other part of the messianic formula. Elijah would come back, he would return, and he would say, he is the one who's coming. I am proclaiming the, the, the Messiah is coming. So Jesus is explaining to both people, both groups of people, both John and the crowd, that yes, indeed, the messianic formula has been fulfilled, has been solved, if you want to look at it that way. And so he's saying, here we are. And then later... Jesus is turning his attention to the doubters in, the, in a few cities, right? He calls out cities and says, the people who aren't believing, you know, woe to you. And so he's aiming them at this generation. He's like, here you are living in the time when these things are being fulfilled and you're not getting it. For whatever reasons, you don't want to understand that I am the Messiah. You don't want to believe that I am who I am. And these people were living in this historic time. Right? They're witnessing Jesus. These, the accounts are not of, a lot of the accounts are not just of Jesus healing somebody by themselves. Many of them are done publicly. Right? In Mark, we there's a, there was a line we talked about when we went through Mark. There was a line coming to, to, to the house that Jesus was staying at. People were around. People were watching him. They go in sick. They come out healthy. You can't even do that at the hospital. You usually have to wait a few days for that at least to happen and for somebody to get through surgery and, and get better. Right? He was literally fulfilling Scripture before their eyes, and yet many, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the ones who should know better and who should know what the signs are and be able to help point people to those signs and say, here, this is the guy. He's the one we've been studying about. He's the one we've been waiting for for these years, centuries. But they said, no, he's not the one. He's false. He's working for the devil. He's drunk. Whatever it is, he's crazy. All these things, right, they throw throughout the Gospels of who Jesus, what they thought Jesus was. And so he's saying, woe to you, just generation. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. He's like, if I could be any clearer, I don't even know how to be any clearer, really. But the one day the judgment will come. But then he says, he goes into verse 25 of where we're starting at. He starts off with a prayer. He said, I praise you, Father, God, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to children. The people who think they know everything, the, think they, the people who studied all this time, they were the biblical scholars of the day. They were too smart for their own good. They just thought that it's, it, would, it would happen differently. Would, well, I read all the scriptures. I know better. I know, where it's, I know how it's going to happen. And this isn't it, is what they really were saying. But the people like Peter, the fishermen, people who didn't have any formal education or especially formal religious education, all of a sudden they got it. These people were following him around. He had huge crowds going around with him. All of a sudden, those people, most of those people got it. He said, I praise you for these people who are now paying attention, right? Because it's for God's own pleasure. He is the one who is revealing these things to the people who understand it and can't understand it. Even though they don't even know why maybe they understand it. They just get it. Because the Holy Spirit is telling them, this is what it is. This is who Jesus is. <clears throat> and so he's saying that the knowledge comes through, the knowledge of God comes through the Son. 
And so verse 27 is the key. He says, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Right? And we see this relationship between the two people, right? between the this first and second persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. There's an exclusivity to it. Right? Those two people know each other. They're distinct. They're both God, but they're distinct. They have distinct personalities. They have distinct functions. And yet, certain people are let into the relationship through the Son, right? The Son is the doorway to the Father. And that only happens because Jesus came. Jesus was incarnated. He became a human being. He came to earth, right? And Jesus calls us children in verse 26 or 25 because that's an important relationship because we call God the Father. And so we as children recognize our need for our Father to take care of us, right? And we joyfully submit and rely on God and His sovereignty to care for us. And so the first application point is that knowing Jesus is the only way to get rest, right? Knowing Jesus is the only way to get rest. That's application point number one there. Should be on the screen. Next one. So if you're tired, and we probably all are tired, what is the only way to restore your body or to get untired? What's the only way? Rest. rest right? What, what, what ways do you employ when you can't get rest? Because it's the middle of the day, it's 2.30 and you have things to do. What do you do? Drink, a, drink coffee, get a Red Bull, get some kind of energy drink, right? Some kind of stimulant. But they only work temporarily, right? It wears off. Now, usually, it, it, sometimes coffee lasts too long and you're up all night. That makes you more tired, right? And there's this vicious cycle. <clears throat> because they, and then, then they do more harm than good, right? Because they take over your body's natural function. They force you into staying awake. You know, the military's spending a lot of money over the last several years, especially, to figure out how to get soldiers and airmen, you know, the, 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 the soldiers and everybody to figure out a way how to get them. To, when they step off the plane, they're ready to go. The only way to really do that is to, is to sleep. You've got to learn, train yourself to sleep when you can, sleep on the plane, sleep on the boat, whatever it is. Because that is the only way your body can reset itself, right? So, so there's some health risks, right? So if you don't get enough sleep, there are health risks. Symptoms of depression, seizures, high blood pressure, migraines worsen. Your immunity is compromised, right? Especially if you've been up and traveling. Yeah, that's why a lot of times you get sick, not just because you're on a plane with recycled air, but because you're... Your sleep cycles are messed up. You're changing time zones, right? You can't sleep, <clears throat> right? So it increases your likelihood of illness and infection. Sleep also plays a role in metabolism. So every one night of missed sleep, one uh, WebMD says, it can create a pre-diabetic state in an otherwise healthy person. This is how important rest is to our body. It resets. Everything resets. There are many important connections between health and sleep. This is one of the doctors there. Right? God had designed us to rest. God designed us to take a pause, hopefully for eight hours at least, right? Your body kind of re recalibrates itself. And the funny thing is your body will get sleep one way or another, right? How many of you guys have fallen asleep in a meeting? I know I have. Not because it was boring, right? But just because you're so tired for whatever reason, your kids are awake, you, you had to work late, you drank too much coffee the night before, whatever it is, right? You, you're, you're just... Ugh. The body's like, I'm tired, I'm sleeping, right? And that can happen also uh, 
when you're driving, right? We drove back, and there's a boring stretch between like Salinas and and Paso Robles. There's kind of that that stretch of, is just ugh, right, just kind of flat. And there's just, there's some vineyards, but there's pretty much nothing to look at. It's just straight and boring. Ugh. You're like, you know. And if you ever driven across like I-80 through Nevada, also very straight and boring and flat. Easily, you could easily fall asleep, right? And so because your body says, hey, I'm tired, I need to sleep. So your body doesn't care. Like you can stave off hunger, right? Your body will tell you you're hungry, but like, well, I can't, I have to stop somewhere else. But your body's like, it's time to sleep now. And so that's just what your body does. But it's more important, right? So it's just as important as the sleep is, it's more important to know and come to who Jesus is. Know who Jesus is and come know where he, he is the one who gives us rest, right? He is the only way to eternal life and true knowledge. So Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? So if we want to know things, if we want to start knowing everything because he is the one who created everything, we go to him. We don't go to the second or third hand report of stuff. We go right to him. Right, because here's the other part of that verse. It says, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Right, and we see this kind of working out in who Jesus was talking about because they were the fools who thought they were smart. They were thought they were intelligent and they didn't know anything. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't recognize that he was ringing all the sign bells. He was ringing all the, all, all the lights were coming on and everything was saying, here I am. And they said, no, it's not him. He's not that guy. Because it would mess everything up. Isaiah 26.3 states, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you, right? So if we are keeping God, we're keeping in with God, our mind is staying on him, he's going to keep us in perfect peace. Because we're not worried about everything that's out here, right? If you, you ever see the, the horses that pull carriages, right? They have the blinders on. Why? So they can look forward. Because they freak out because they're... they're uh, they're looking for prey, and they think anybody around them may, may hurt them, so they, they don't need to see everything over here. They need to see this way. So it keeps all that stuff out. That's, that's what we need to have as well, because Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. For now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. No one else can get you to God. No matter what anybody else tells you, no matter what anybody else says, oh, we're all just on path to God. No, we're not. Jesus is the only way to get us there. In the Old Testament, Moses, Abraham, or David could not get anybody else close to God. In fact, with the Exodus, they didn't want to go near God. They said, Moses, you go over there. We'll stay over here. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Plato, Aristotle, any other philosopher or smart person around the day thinks they can get you to God or you don't need him, they are lying to you. They are wrong. They are lying to you. They are causing you to not rest because those people all have flaws in their systems. Those people cannot take away your sins and show you who God is. Only Jesus can do that through his death and resurrection. And so if you want rest or peace, you need to come to Jesus. So that answers the question of where do we go to find rest? And so in verse 28, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many people have told you that ever in your lives? Hey, come over to my house and 
I'll just take on your job. I'll go to work for you today. Because I, 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 I often ask Veronica, I said, hey, do you want to go to work for me today? I don't feel like going. And she's like, yeah, if I could. Right? But she can't, unfortunately. She can't, she can't do my job. No, she's on a cable, but she, there's other, all other rules that go with it. Right? He will give you rest. He is the one... Because he's the only one that can provide you the real rest that you need, right? Everything else, like the caffeine from energy drinks, coffee, soda, whatever it is, right? It gets us awake. It keeps us moving so we can complete our jobs. We can get through the day, but eventually it wears off and we need another cup of coffee and it just keeps going. And when we think we just need a break or a day off, right? It's just more than that, right? It gets deeper than just physical rest. Right, because Jesus is always talking about more than just the physical. A lot of times, we as people, we can see it in the in the in the in the Gospels, particularly. Like, man, those guys are hard-headed. They don't, they don't don't they know who Jesus is? And like, well, wait, do I know who Jesus is? Do I know He can give me this rest too? Am I really saying who He is? Right, because it's easy. It's like playing solitaire behind somebody else. Like, oh, move the king, move that nine, move move it over there. And when you're sitting in front of the chair, you're like, where am I going? Right? It's the same thing. And so we have to make sure we're, we're looking at it correctly, right? So, so it's more than just a physical rest, but really, what is this rest that Jesus offers? So John Newton, who's a, you know earlier theologian, he points out that the word used for this word rest expresses something more than just rest or a mere relaxation from work or toil. It denotes refreshment likewise. Also, so it denotes refreshment as well. Right? A person weary with long bearing a heavy burden will need not only to have it removed, but likewise, he wants good and refreshment to restore his spirits and to repair his wasted strength. Right? When you're out working somewhere, you do a lot of work, moving a lot of boxes, moving a lot of whatever, you just want to be done. But you're also hungry. You need to have your, your, your muscles need to be replenished with sugar, the glycogen, and everything else in your body. Right? You need the energy that, to replace it that you just spent. And so such is the rest of the gospel, he says. It not only puts a period to our fruitful labors, right? But it offers, it affords a sweet, reviving cordial. There is not only peace, but joy in believing. And so when we're, the, the Pilgrim's Progress, when, when Christian gets to the cross and everything else, and he gets to the end of the book. He's carrying this burden, this whole book, this whole big backpack of stuff. And all of a sudden, he gets to the cross, and he accepts Christ, and he knows who he is finally, and really understands it. The burden, the backpack just falls off of him. Those of you who are in the military, if you've performed ruck marches, what's the best part of the ruck march? Taking your backpack off, and all of a sudden, you feel taller, you feel a lot lighter, Right? Literally, you, you're walking around almost bouncing because you've been carrying 50 or 60 pounds on your back, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I can, I'm like on the moon. <laughs> right? it's that, that's the feeling you get when you take this heavy burden off. You're like, ah. now I need some food. I need some sugar to kind of replenish everything. But that's what he is. He is the sweet sugar that refills you, that gives you this peace, and you have this happiness that it's over. We don't have to fight anymore. Right, this acceptance of the gospel doesn't just give you a, doesn't give you a physical rest, but it's a rest for your soul. It's a spiritual rest. And so A.W. Pink points out that Jesus is the rest that provides three things. First, his rest is a deliverance from that vain and wearisome quest 
to obtain worldliness from different people or objects. That should be on this slide. <clears throat> right? So we don't have to keep trying to make the world happy. We don't have to keep trying to make people just happy and like us and everything else and get approval from the world. So Jesus is the living water that quenches our thirst, right? We don't have to keep going to a different well every single time to get this drink and hope that it fills us up and sustains our thirst and quenches our thirst. So the second one is that we can rest and understand that the love God has for us. And it also puts in perspective how vilely we have repaid him. And then all of a sudden we're convicted. We are cut to the quick. When by faith we come to Christ, all of this is altered. We understand that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that God stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus to come to this earth. He did this because he loved us. And what did we do? We sin against him. We blaspheme. We do all these things. We supplant him with ourselves, our, ourselves. We are trying to become God. And we sin. So the last one is the third part that A.W. Ping talks about is that we can rest in God's grace from our sins and our own works. We realize finally that we don't have to earn our way into heaven. That our entrance price has been paid. We get to return to our heavenly home at some point. If you were a believer. Right? Those are the three things. And Pink had a few more. But those were the, kind of the three more, more important ones that, we, that he pulled out. That I'm going to talk about today. We can rest. We have this peace that we don't have to keep being busy to try to earn our way into heaven. We have to do all these box checking things. So God isn't mad at me anymore. That I can get there. Now we need to be repentant. We need to make sure we're living for God. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. right? But, but we don't. We, everything's put in the proper perspective. Of why we do things. <clears throat> so all of these ways to rest are made possible by Jesus and the work on the cross that, he, that he's completed. Right? He is the giver of rest. He is the one we come to. He is the one, like he says, come to me. He is calling us over. And so there's a way you have to accept the rest of it so you can partake in this rest. So you can get this thing, right? So what do you do to find this rest? In verses 29 through 30, he says... Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we've probably all quoted that numerous times, and we try to get people to do that, but maybe we don't really understand it, or really kind of put it in perspective, right? So, but in Jesus' statement here, in verses 29 and 30, we see this gift exchange. Right? That's why I term this the gift exchange. It's the condition with which the rest of the peace that you're looking for is given. You exchange your sins, your burdens, your hardships for something easier, something easier to carry. Right? We can carry Jesus' yoke. He says, my, my yoke is light. It's easy. So here's the application part a little bit earlier, is that you can obtain the rest of this peace by humbling yourself and accepting God's will for your life. But to humble ourselves, and then we can accept this gift from God. He, it's his will. So first, take up my yoke. What does this mean? It means surrender yourself to my lordship. Not mine, Jesus. Right? I want to make sure it's not me, it's Jesus. Right? Surrender yourself to Jesus' lordship. That's why we call him Lord. 
Exchange your will for mine is what he's telling us. Get rid of yourself, right? Die to yourself and put me over your life. Put Jesus over your life. Right? Using your free will to put on the yoke, right? You're saying, all right, I can, I can do that, right? Just like we join the military or you, you go to work somewhere. Nobody's making you go to work. Maybe it may, it may feel like it when you have to go there. Like, I got to go to work, right? But nobody made you take the job. Nobody made you join the military, right? Other, other countries have compulsory service, compulsory service where you have to serve a certain amount of years, Right? Everybody will join between the years of 18 and 24 or whatever it is. You will be in the military for two years. That's it. We have an all-volunteer service. We all go to the recruiter's office. You go, you do your test, you raise your right hand and say, I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Right? And, and you, you, you are willingly putting yourself into that contract. It's the same thing. God is not forcing you to become a Christian. <clears throat> we have the ability to say, yes, I'm going to become a Christian. Now, he will make your life uncomfortable if you don't. If he wants you, because he's calling you. He says, come to me. Right? He's calling people to him. So we respond to that call. Now, we can kind of push that call off for a certain amount of time, but there's a point where God knows where I know he's going to say yes or she's going to say yes at this point. Right? So that's how right, his sovereignty and our free will work together where he's never forcing us, he's never browbeating us into becoming a Christian. Like we finally feel guilty enough to say, all right, fine, God, I'll do it. Right? It is fully our volition to say, yes, I want to do this. I want to pick up your yoke. I want to put this on. Right? He doesn't trap us just to get us to work for him. That's what some people think, I think, right? They think that you just, he's just so mean and he'll just bear over you and say, do it. And you say, fine. Right? This doesn't mean, though, that this will be easy. This doesn't mean that his life will be easy. There's going to be hardships as a Christian, but this is part of the cost of the discipleship. This is part of what is be a disciple. Right? So oxen are yoked, and this is what they use, right? This is an agrarian society for the most part everybody kind of understood they had oxen out here being yoked and plowing up the fields so they kind of understood the visual aspect of this right so oxen are yoked together by their master they work for him but he feeds them he houses them in the barn somewhere right he makes sure they are healthy he takes care of the oxen right the oxen that are free and I've never, I've never seen a free free-roaming oxen. I don't know if, if, they're, if they're wild oxes or cows anywhere. There might be. But those ones that aren't, that, that are free to roam around, they're free to figure out all these things all by themselves. Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? Who's going to take care of me? How do I get to the doctors? It's the same thing. We, you know, if, we're, if we put ourselves in the place of the oxen, we are yoked this way to God, and He is taking care of us. He is the one providing all these things for us. And so... You know, it's traveling time, perhaps. We just traveled last week. I mean, ours was a fairly easy trip just up and back, but I don't think we've ever done it, but we do all the planning by ourselves for trips. And it's kind of a pain sometimes. We don't go through a travel agent to say, hey, we want to go to Hawaii, take care of it, and here's some money. And they give you, the, you can do that. And that's kind of what we do, God's saying here, just, just 
Here's your travel plans. Here you go. This is your life now. And so the way we do this, though, it, when we decide to get yoked, right, we're, we're humbling ourselves. We realize that we are not God. We can't control the world. We can't tr- control the rain or anything like that. Right? We exchange our will for his. And Jesus says, he even tells us, I am humble. Right? He humbled himself to the point of death. And so the author of Hebrews explains in, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Right? He humbled himself to this point of death, and now he is crowned with glory and honor. He sits at the right hand of God the Father because of what he did, because he humbled himself. We will also be equally, not equally, but we will be glorified in certain ways as well. We'll be rewarded in heaven with different crowns, different things. Because we humbled ourselves and we said, I can't figure this world out. I don't know what I'm doing. And so for some of us, it may be very difficult to do that. You may have friends and family that do the same thing. They're very strong-willed. They say, well, I can figure it all out myself. And they're probably, you're probably watching them struggle and say, I used to struggle too. All right, I still struggle. We still fight. It's okay. Because we were made this way. But when we humble ourselves, it enables us to do the second point of what Jesus talks about. Not just taking up the yoke, but also learning from him. And so in order to learn from people, you have to be quiet and listen. And sometimes it's hard for people to do this. Right? We had to sit in school for 12 years at least and endure all the teachings and I don't care about math, I don't care about history. Whatever it is, whatever your least favorite subject was, you had to sit there and listen and take tests. That's necessary for you to grow as a person, right? So as we, we are learning how to become Christians or we are learning how to be Christians, we have to learn. And so this is part of the discipleship process as well, right? We are called children, that means we have to go to school. And so going back to the yoke part, Jews commonly spoke of taking on the yoke of the Torah to refer to the acceptance of the stipulations of the law. Right? But as the Sermon on the Mount has made plain, Jesus calls people not to the law, but to himself. That the law was the teachings, right? So all the, we call it the, sometimes it's the law or sometimes it's the rules, but really the word is more, more correctly as teachings. How to be a Jew, how to be a God follower, that's what the, the law was. And now Jesus is the actual ultimate fulfillment. He is the embodiment of the law, and we need to learn how to be like him. And so this rest that Jesus offers his disciples enables them to overcome a certain measure of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, and meaninglessness in the joy and peace of God's very presence in Jesus Christ. Right? We see the Pharisees in the Gospels talk about, well, you didn't wash your hands, you didn't clean this, you didn't do that, you didn't do this special thing, you didn't take off on Saturday or the Sabbath. You're not fulfilling the rules, right? So all of a sudden, if people are predisposed to be afraid of rules or just overly respectful of the rules and say, I didn't do that, oh my God. I didn't, I didn't do this thing right. I didn't do it correctly. I'm not going to get in. I need to go repent. Or I need to go do whatever it is. Right? And by way of contrast, though, most Jews found the interpretation of the law imposed on them by their leaders increasingly burdensome. Right? Because we watch the Pharisees saying, well, you didn't, you didn't come to church today. You didn't uh, wash your hands correctly. You didn't, you didn't do the three twirls in, a, in, a, in whatever before you came in the church. Or whatever the rules are to get into the temple or whatever it was, you didn't do those things, so I'm going to look down on you. 
And God's not happy with you because I'm not happy with you. And they're speaking for God. And so they're putting all these imaginary things and requirements onto, onto people. And he's saying, look, I'm God. I wrote the book. Here's what I'm telling you. Follow me. Learn from me. Don't listen to those guys. They don't know what they're doing talking about, even though they're wise and intelligent. And we have to be careful. Likewise, as Christians, we don't become the Pharisees and try to put certain things. Now, there are requirements. I want to make sure we're clear, right? God has clear requirements of what is and what isn't. But we need to make sure we're teaching them the correct way. And so Paul kept working to make disciples, right? He was busy. He was the busiest guy in the Bible, probably, next to Jesus. But there seemed to be a calmness to his work. You read about Paul, he's like, I'm sitting in prison again. Let me write some letters. I'm getting, I'm going to talk to the, the Caesar or the next guy under the Caesar. But I'm, it's, it's no big deal. It's just another person. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I'm going to tell the president about Jesus. It's no big deal. Right? He never seems to get flustered when he's thrown into jail or thrown out of a town or speaking to everybody else. He just went about his business because it was, it was God's business. He was working on God's business. He wasn't working things for himself. Now, he, when he made tents, that was kind of for him to make money. But even that was part of God's business because he was making money so he wouldn't burden the church. And so he was at peace with this, right? So all this stuff going on, starting a bunch of churches and running around the Middle East and, you know, the Greece and everything else, he was just calm. Like you could almost never, he was unflappable, one of my favorite, one of my favorite words. You couldn't get them stirred up. Paul happily accepted the yoke that Jesus offered. He said, yep, I'll take that. I can wear that. And it's not due to the idea of the law, right? He had no idea because at first he was chasing the Christians down because he thought they were breaking the law. He thought they were violating the law, so he had to hunt them down and fix them and get rid of them. But all of a sudden, you know, Paul had a right to be scared or uncertain because he found himself in many uncertain and uncomfortable situations. I've never been to jail. I don't ever want to go to jail, but I'm pretty sure it's not fun. I've been in a few jails, like doing work and stuff like that, but I don't ever want to go to jail. It doesn't seem like a fun place. So if you're in jail, you're probably okay to be like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. But he trusted Jesus, he trusted God to know Everything, and he had this peace about him. He had a true peace and rest about him because he was resting in God. And so we're not under the law, as it were, right? We're, we're bound to follow the law, right? We're not bound to follow the law to get in heaven. That's not a requirement. Getting into heaven is based on your acceptance of Jesus Christ. That is how you have eternal life. You confess with your heart and your mouth that you have Jesus that you understand who he is, you replace his yoke with your yoke, or his, your yoke with his yoke, excuse me. Right? But this law is fulfilled through Jesus. All the, he came to fulfill the law, not to replace it. And his birth, death, and resurrection is what fulfills all this stuff. He is the one that makes us able to have this pure rest. And we can have this same rest knowing that Jesus has paid it all. That his birth that we celebrate on Christmas made that possible. And so Jesus is speaking with his disciples again in John 14. And starting in verse 23, he says, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He's not, he's saying, look, this is, I'm not just sitting here making it up because it sounds good. He said, this is how it works. If you love me, you're going to listen to me. Right? If you love your parents, you're going to listen to what they say. It's the same thing. Hopefully your kids will listen to what you say. And then in verse 25, he says, All this I have spoken with, while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Right? He, is, he left us with this peace because we can have peace in him. He is giving us his peace. And so wrapping it up, right? Jesus is the only way to make this real true rest possible. There is no other way. We can't get rest from other people. We can't get rest from the newest, greatest thing or person who's whatever they're talking about and you know, preaching about or whatever it is. If it's not biblical, if it's not talking about pointing you to Jesus for free, it's not the right thing. We have been delivered from spiritual torment, but the physical work still exists. We have to remember that. But it can be easier when we're working for God. I remember every time we used to teach Awana on Wednesday nights in Georgia. And usually work was super busy and I was tired. We go there and we have dinner and we teach and we have the kids. The kid. We did the little first and second graders, I think, right? So... It's a lot of energy required to teach first and second graders if you haven't done it. But I would leave, I think both of us would usually leave, like, re-energized. Because we were teaching them about God. Uh, we come, come tired, leave, leave, you know, awake, basically. In order to obtain this peace, we had to exchange our will for God's will and place him over ourselves. And that's sometimes hard for us. We've all been there, those of us who are now believers. We know we've already done that, but we have to do it every day. Because there's going to be things that we want to do today that God doesn't want us to do today. We have to really ask and say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? Do this, do that, whatever it is, right? And you say, okay, I'm good with that. We have to humble ourselves in order to learn from him. And if we do these things, we will have the peace. If you do these things... You will have the peace in knowing that we have, you have exchanged your temporary physical lives for eternal spiritual ones. And that's important for us. Because some people think this is it. This is, you get one shot, that's it. But we know as believers, we know where we're going. We know that when this exchange happens, we've been given a new life. We've been given this gift. And we can live on, our, on this earth peacefully, knowing that this happens. Right? And it's natural to buck against the yoke, to want to get out of it. Right? It's what caused the fall of man. We lost our anchor point. And Adam and Eve were sent to wonder, right? God was the anchor point in the garden. They wanted to be God. But Jesus has come to return us, to come call us back, back into the garden, back into the temple. That's what the new temple will be. It will be a new Eden, basically. A new and improved Eden. And so Jesus is the only one to truly provide us with peace, right? And so I have a quote from Jonathan Edwards to close this up. He says, The peace of Jesus fixes the aim of the soul to a certain end. 
So the soul is no longer distracted and drawn contrary ways by opposite ends to be sought and opposite portions to be obtained. Instead, the heart is fixed in the choice of one certain, sufficient, and unfailing good, and that is Jesus. That is God. That's Jonathan would say. And stare at you with his scary eyes. <laughs> but he's pointing us to make sure that we're, if we focus on Jesus, we're not distracted. We can not have to look around all the time. We know exactly who we're working for. We know exactly where we're going. And so as we sing our last few songs, okay, we go into the Christmas next couple days for Christmas. We do our last preparations. Let us think about him. Let us figure out the joy and the peace that we have through Jesus. All right, so let's stand and we'll sing in the garden.